sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I have a wonderful guest with me today, Don Delano. I'm really excited about our conversation today, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself and what you do, and we're just going to get started. We're going to go off to the races because I know we got a lot to say to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, first, I want to say thank you for having me as a guest, Erica. I'm really excited to uh, be part of this podcast with you, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun talking about some some great stuff. I have an online retail store. It's called Mon Amour Toujours. And I sell, I call them intimate partner alternatives. Most people know them as sex dolls. And I cater to a wide audience of both men, women, and couples. Which is so, it's so, so cool. I have spent a lot of time on the website taking a look at these creations because I really see them as kind of, when I was looking at them, I'm like, you have put so much care into them. The details that they have is, is really, really impressive. I can see these as works of art to you. So tell me about you, Don. How did you become you? And then how did you get into this work? <laughs> well, this is really kind of all by accident. I started my business in April of 2016. And I was just on the internet and I was going through some pictures. I think I was looking for female wigs at one point. And I came across this one photo that looked like a person, but kind of didn't look like a person. And I clicked on it, and it led me to a sex doll site. Now, I've been familiar with sex dolls for a long time. A lot of people are very familiar with Abyss Creations Real Doll out in California. But they've come a long way. The Chinese market has really taken them. They've mainstreamed the process and are using materials that make them up much more affordable. So there's uh, many different uh, manufacturers in China that are creating these intimate partner alternatives for people. And so as I, I started doing research, I thought, well, okay, these are really cool. They've come a long way. They, they look very realistic. And I thought, I wonder what the market is for these, you know, because at that, at that time, there were a lot of sites, but there weren't very many, and especially not very many vendors here in the United States. And so the more I researched them, I started looking at uh, news articles about how mostly men had these dolls, and they were saying how much happier they were and and how these dolls are a companion more than a sexual partner. And I was like, wow, these can just, these are benefiting a lot of people. And that's what, that's what really hooked it for me. I'm like, you know, if this product can help somebody and, and make somebody happy and bring some joy to their life, I'm all for it. And then I started looking at becoming a vendor and talking to some of these factories and figuring out what it need, what I needed to do to, to allow that to happen. And yeah, the rest is history. So I've been in business for a little over two years and I've probably sold close to nine or yeah, about $900 over the last two years to different people. I have a lot of return customers and 
everybody's happy, <laughs> which yeah. is great. Yeah. It must be such an interesting thought. As you've said, these are intimate partner alternatives and you've created 900 of them. That's, that's really impressive. Well, just to be clear, I didn't create them. These are created by artists in China and manufactured there as well. So there's many different brands and, and I have several of them available. And the, the brands themselves have their own artists which create the products, these the bodies and the faces, and they do the manufacturing. So these were all in existence, and as well as new products coming, coming uh, available constantly. I'm just the in-between person that deals with the factory and brings it to the American market. Got it. So you create the connection between the customer and the product itself. Yes, it's, it's it. not easy to deal with the Chinese factories. You really have to know how to, to negotiate and navigate <laughs> within that world. You and I had talked before, obviously, we started our interview and you told me a little bit about what you're getting your education in. And so tell me a little bit about that and tell me about your interests. Yeah, so I have a, my bachelor's in psychology and my goal was to go into counseling, actually. And during that time as well, I, I took a lot of classes on sexuality and gender. And then I'm currently working on my master's in sociology here at the University of Central Florida, focusing on sexuality and relationships and inequalities as well. So I, I'm looking at, you know, how all these things work together. Uh, I'll just say, you know, the main reason I didn't go into counseling was because I felt that, that I could... Uh, better utilize my education in other ways. And now I'm starting to do a lot more research, in, especially in this area of, let's say, intimate partner alternatives uh, you know, and sex dolls and things like that. Which is completely fascinating to me. And during our call, we, we were nerding out together and all of yeah. the things that we wanted to talk about. Right. <laughs> so I, am, I imagine you and I, this will not be our first conversation together. So, oh, good, good, so. Yeah. When you started down this path and you and you started down the path of not only just your education, but down the path to creating this business, how did you create boundaries on the intimate partner alternative? How did you create boundaries around what kinds of products you were willing to offer? Well, I think the market creates its own boundaries. So I'm pretty sure you're referring to the more childlike dolls and smaller dolls as well. So, you know, there is that fine line. And, you know, for me, I have to look at the responses that I'm getting from my customers. You know, and when, when people say, thank you so much, I'm, I'm much happier now. I enjoy going home after work. Uh, my life is so much better. And when that can help somebody with a, I'll say, an adult-looking doll, I feel it can also help somebody with a, a childlike doll. Now, I don't offer those on my site simply because of my association with the doll forum. The doll forum is an online forum that caters to the doll community, and they have very strict guidelines when it comes to having those types of products, I'll say underage-looking dolls on a site. So in order for me to maintain my approval status with them. I, I, I can't allow them on my site. But I will say this, I'm all for that. If somebody can get those from another source, that's awesome. 
one of the things, and we're kind of like letting the listener in on our previous conversation was that that I would imagine that some of the people who offered the creation of these dolls, this would be where the criticism lies. Exactly. And, you know, I'll say no matter what the size of the, I'll just, we'll shorten it, we'll say IPA is, these are replacements for relationships. You know, these aren't a means to, to act out any violent tendencies or any sort of violent fantasies somebody might have. And this is the area of research that I'm, I'm working on. You know, I think the media, as well as maybe some feminist writers and radical feminist writers and authors look at this and say, this is just a way for men to have carte blanche option to do whatever they want to women. And that's just not the case. And these are replacements or alternatives for traditional relationships. So these people that are choosing to go in this direction take it very seriously. And, and they, they make it part of their lives. I think you should talk a little bit about the research that you're doing and the data you're collecting, because I think it's, it's going to be really important down the road for our understanding more broadly of our sexual fantasies, our sexual wants, and how much more common things are than not. And I, I can attest to just having worked with people who have committed sexual assault, that the misconception by the larger public is quite large, just generally. Me saying that doesn't mean that you know, oh, yay, sexual predators. No, right. <laughs> it just means that our understanding of them as a culture is pretty skewed. And this was something you and I talked about previously was that the concern for the reinforcement of arousal. And that's something we just don't know enough about, period, throughout sexuality research. Yes. And you probably know this as well. It's really difficult to get this information. And it's even more difficult to get it from, I'll just say, the, those that are in the doll community because there's still that stigma that these are perverts and creepy people, and that's just not the case. Or, you know, going back, or the rapists that wanting to just have their way. So the first category of research that I'm looking at is male rape fantasy, as well as misogynistic behaviors. Combining these two, because I feel that they're important and very compatible as far as the research is concerned. The first study, and these are surveys that I posted on two very prominent doll forums. And I was, Erica, I was truly blessed to get the response that I did because it's really hard for these guys to, to open up and, and be honest and feel comfortable with being honest about what they're going through. So, you know, the first study I looked at, you know, I had certainly some demographic questions. And the main focus of that one was the rape fantasy, you know, if they had a rape fantasy. And of the number of people that I had, I think I had 102 completed surveys. We're looking at like almost 90% of them saying, no, they don't have a rape fantasy. And of those that do, it's that small percentage it's just a fantasy for them. They don't even act it out with their, their IPA. And if they do act it out with their IPA, that's all they're doing. And, and the, 
basically we get down to like the final couple of people that are left and there's really like out of that small percentage there's maybe one or two people that say yes you know this this has helped me having this available has helped me to not want to act this out in real life even though these survey takers you know with with the rape fantasy all say that they would never do this in real life we're looking at i'll just say really half of the those that say that this is something that they have interacted with their ipa are not going to do it and it's helped them fulfill that fantasy so we're, we're seeing something not seen before an option for people to say hey if i have this it's going to make me less likely to take these feelings out into the real world. And the second survey was looking at, I'll just say misogynistic tendencies, sexual advances, unwanted sexual advances, groping and things like that. And it was the same thing. You know, we looked at the number of people that, I'll say, intentionally purchased their IPA so that they could express that in some way rather than having to, to curb their feelings in real life. And a lot of them, you know, once again, we're, we're at, even, even though it's a, I'll say, a small sample, the results are promising to show that, that they're telling us that having this IPA available curbs their desire to act this way in real life, which, once again, is, astounding that that there is a way that we have that that people can find some sort of satisfaction in acting out whether it's a fantasy or unacceptable social <laughs> sexual social behaviors in a way that they're not going to do this in real life now is this possible that this could help those that are professed to be pedophiles and hebophiles and allow them a sexual outlet. I'm saying yes. Now, I'm, I'm not at the point of getting that research ready yet, but that's certainly an interest of mine. As difficult as it is getting people for these sort of surveys, it's going to be even more difficult to, to you know, get people for those surveys. And being able to talk about it, I can, I can attest to having worked very closely with people who have identified that their primary arousal is children and, but them getting to the place to understand that themselves was incredibly difficult for them. And they have an immense amount of shame around it. It's the doubling and tripling down of shame. It, it is. Because culturally, this is one of those things that we, we, as a culture, one do not understand well enough yet, and it's something that because we have a, we as a culture, this is that the monster, right? Like that that is the that's what we we call people who've committed sexual offenses. They're they're the monsters. So we have as as a culture have even you know again tripled down on the shame. Yes, and these are certainly interesting times when it comes to defining sexuality. Because I almost see this as IPAs have become more noticeable in the media, given more attention, especially with the robotic aspect of it. People are starting to 
think about these things a little bit more, you know, okay, so now how do we define sex? How do we define relationships? You know, it's these things, because they are, initially these are things, uh, are forcing us, and not only the general public, I mean the scientific community as well, to, to redefine things. And I think this is going, to, as we begin to redefine things, it's going to help us better understand the, quote, monsters and what makes us tick sexually and the other options that are available to people. One of my next questions I think you've already kind of touched on a little bit is, who is the average customer? And it sounds like it's a pretty broad range of folks. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> well, let's just look at the majority. Of course, it's it's men. You know, these products are catered to men. But I'm seeing a growing number, I should say, of couples also looking into this as an option. Those that, that want to be like, yeah, we're curious about bringing in a third person, but we're just too concerned about the emotional aspects of it. So this allows them to be able to explore that avenue a little bit differently without the emotional process. I imagine that would be really, really enticing to couples generally, because I mean, we know from, and you and I talked about this before, Dr. Justin Lee Miller's book that just came out, Tell Me What You Want. He talked very much about his research and finding that group sex is one of the probably most common fantasies that we have as people. At least that's what he's found in his research. And I would imagine this would be one of those alternatives that they could figure out, okay, is this something we actually want to do without having the emotional connection? Yeah. And every once in a while, you know, people touch base with me and, and I like to reach out to, I'll just say the outliers and the couples and the females. And, and I, I get in touch with them and say, hey, how are things going? And, you know, they're always like, oh, things are going great. We want to thank you so much for this opportunity to bring, you know, so-and-so. You know, this isn't a thing. They, they, they keep their names and, you know, she's so, so great to have around. And, you know, we both have fun dressing her up. And for me, I'm a sappy guy, honestly. And it's really, really difficult for me to not get emotional when, when I read those sort of emails because I'm like, this is what it's all about. This is about, you know, making people happy, especially, you know, with, with couples like that to be able to, and you know, as a, a couples counselor, communicate, you know, this is allowing them to communicate in a much different way and, and having a, a, something that's extrinsic to entice the communication because not to get too far off track, people think that relationships are all about some sort of psychic connection, <laughs> you know, you just, you should just know what I want. And that's not, that's not what it is. <laughs> just, no, <laughs> that's probably the biggest complaints that I address immediately in therapy is you, neither of you are psychic. Right. Yes, yes, exactly. So we need to talk about this more. And, you know, especially with men, you know, men have a couple of things, you know, they're, they're just expected to know what to do in this act, you know, and that's just not the case. And so that puts a lot of pressure on men. It also put, puts pressure on the relationship. But when we're looking at men and their choice to, to bring in an IPA as a relationship alternative, whether looking at it as long-term or short-term, this is a good thing for everybody. And especially this, this allows the, the man to get to know what they want sexually. 
and and feel good about what they want sexually and be able to express that especially if we'll say an rg a real girl comes along that they want to be in a relationship with social media is fun you know because when when these topics come up about sex dolls you know boy the opinions fly <laughs> and nobody wants to hear that no these are a good thing so a lot of women will say i'm not going to date a guy that that owns a sex doll or has had one well, I tell you what, man, these are the guys that you do want to date because they know what they want sexually. They're able to perform without any sort of preconceived ideas, maybe, of what the female wants, as well as just be open about expressing their sexuality. I have a guy, a local guy, he dates regularly and has sex dolls. And he, he tells the, the women that he dates, this is what I got. And if you don't like it, see you later. <laughs> if you're cool with that, then, you know, come on. So for him, this works really well. And and unfortunately, you know, a lot of guys continue to hold that shame, you know, when they start maybe dating a real woman and don't let them know, you know, you know especially from his experience. And he says, you know what, Don, you got just got to tell these guys, just come out and say it because that's the best thing that you can do because most of the women are supportive and interested. I talk with my clients about that. That level of authenticity is endearing. That level of authenticity and being able to be vulnerable about who you are and the things you like, will you will find the people that you are meant to connect with because then you will only know acceptance if you are vocal about who you are. And I appreciate that. You know, I'm, I'm the t sort of person that looks at the connection and I like the way you say that. You're going to find the people that you connect with, and that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, like, what do you think is, obviously, we've talked about how sometimes women will be have this misconception about men who own these IPAs. What would you say maybe is some of the misconceptions generally about, about the product? It's hard to say what the misconceptions of the product would be, because I really don't feel that there is any, well... There can be misconceptions about the products, but I guess we need to differentiate between the two or the, the user of the product and the product itself. When people think about the products themselves, they think it's creepy because are you familiar with the uncanny valley? Not off the top of my head. Go ahead. Okay. Well, it's a term. I don't remember who came up with the term. I'll, I'll think of it as we're going along here. But, but basically what it is, it's a term that says that we have something that is so realistic that it's borderline creepy or scary because it's too realistic. So people get freaked out by that because, you know, like a mannequin in a store, you're used to walking by them and, you know, oh, that's a mannequin of a woman or man. It looks pretty real. But when you get into the IPAs, they look so realistic. And that's what, what people are turned off. Well, some people are turned off by because why would somebody want to be with that when they can just be with a real person? I think the misconception about the users is that they are those creepy sort of people and weird or perverts or anything or something like that. And the thing is, the people that incorporate this into their lives are just like everybody else. I, I mean, you would be surprised, you know, if if all the IPA owners literally just came out all at once. I don't know what people would do, you know, be like, oh my God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sexuality generally, I think that is one of the biggest 
culturally one of our biggest problems is that we're expected to know everything about sex and expected to be experts about sex, yet that is not necessarily an option for people to become experts early. Sex education is so poor in this country. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is this this double-edged sword that we have in our country of, oh, you need to know all this stuff, and yet we do not provide it until people are much older. And by that point, they feel often shame, lost, not know where to begin, and then shame again because they don't didn't have the information to begin with. Right. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And going back to what I said earlier, I think these are exciting times for sexuality and the field of psychology and sociology looking at these topics because, boy, things are changing. You know, we have, there's some great authors out there that, you know, that we have, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, called, it's called Robot Sex. And it's basically a compilation of various authors put together by uh, John Donner and Neil MacArthur. And uh, basically what they did is they, they said, hey, guys, you know, we want you to, to give us your opinions on sex robots and ethical things and social things about them. And they, they really touch on a lot of subjects. And some of, most of them are very supportive. If you pay attention to the media when the subject comes up and they pull in experts from the various universities, all of them say, we see this as a good thing. <laughs> this is a, a great opportunity for people to express themselves sexually. And there's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, the media feeds on that drama and perpetuates that in a way to, once again, demonize those sort of people that that seem different and not look at the benefits these things bring. We have to start looking at the, at the benefits and realize the benefits far outweigh the risk. And unfortunately, there isn't any empirical evidence yet <laughs> to show that. And, that. and that's the reason that I um, started moving in that direction with the research I'm doing. And I think that's fantastic. So a little bit more lighthearted, because you and I could follow down this this rabbit hole, but a more lighthearted question. Do you have common requests? No, you know. That's so interesting. And here's why. It's because people can customize their IPA exactly they w the way they want to do it. There's so many options. You know, there's certainly, I'll say, standard features, but they come in all shapes and sizes and different you know, looks and there's the big, beautiful woman and there's a small petite. There's also male dolls as well. And personally, I like to see the factories push those a little bit more because that, that opens up the market to a completely new audience, not only with homosexual men, but also women as well. But because there's so many options, I, I don't feel that there's any one certain request. The listeners and you already know how curious of a human I am. It totally matches up though. Our wants and our varied wants in the world of sexuality are so broad that it's interesting that, and it makes sense that that would match that the people who are looking for IPAs are looking for a very broad, varied across probably the gender spectrum that I'm sure eventually as the want 
increases, or at least once they realize the want is there, (laughs) they'll probably provide more and more of those products. So I just, I'm so appreciative that you joined me today, Dawn. How do people find you in the world? Well, you can certainly visit my website, and that's monamortajour.com. It's a crazy word. (laughs) That just Mm -hmm. means it's my love always in French. That's the best way, and you can get me through email there as well. I also have a a toll-free number that that people can call if they want to get in touch with me that way, and that is 855-724-0489. I'm also on Facebook. If you search for Monomore Tajor, you'll find me on Facebook as well as Instagram. Mm. And I will make sure all of those links and everything is all in the show notes. So if you're looking for it and you want to get in touch with Dawn or if you're interested in the IPAs, all of that information will be available for you to find. Again, Dawn, thank you so much for joining me today. Do you have anything else that is happening, something that's coming up that's that's new or any new products that are coming out that maybe folks should know about? Well, yeah, there's always new products. And, and honestly, Erica, it's hard for me to keep up with them. Every day I'm getting new, I'll say, ladies to add to the site. And this is the big time of year right now from October through January. This is when everybody starts thinking about those lonely, cold winter nights and wanting to snuggle mm-hmm. up with you know some, someone. And, and so this is the big time of year for me. And that's what I'm gearing up for right now. Fantastic. So thank you everyone for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you again soon. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.